Before the start of this podcast, Marvin Rees, Mayor of Bristol, gives a short speech. It's fantastic of Clive to be capturing this aspect of our community's history in Bristol. I remember training with Trevor Johnson myself as a, an eight-year-old over at Eastern Sports Centre. I think each class used to cost 25p back then. Was it 50p? Um, Thursdays and Tuesdays. Um, I remember the legendary names of the, of the time as well. Remember, um, names like Winston and Lloyd flying around the community. And that was a time when physical contest and physical threat uh, from racism was very real and very raw. Um, and that, that elder generation um, did so much to um, bring children like myself that feeling of safety that um, we could stand our own. Um, no one is saying violence is the answer, but you do need to be able to um, protect yourself. You know, as I got older, I started boxing myself um, over at uh, Broad Plain and then started training again with Mike and Len Jackson and Lau Gar. Uh, and as you're thinking about Lau Gar, my classes with, um, uh, with Trevor, I'm sure Sean Vieira was standing at the back, who's gone on, obviously, multi-world champion. So this has been a huge... Um, legacy within uh, within our community uh, from those forerunners from those people who, who steps out those martial artists who started in the community and went on to uh, to beat the world and bring world titles back to Bristol and then hand those that legacy on to the next generation coming through um, this is an incredible project and um, I think Bristol will be all the richer for it Clive Smith, As It Is TV presents the podcast, Bristol's African-Caribbean legends of martial arts. Lloyd Russell, Lloyd Allen, Nathan Lewis, Sean Vera, Winston Williams, tells their stories of their journeys to success and the positive contributions they've brought to the world. Here we are in a period of time where we see martial arts being practiced by all different types of people. Male, female, race, culture. The one thing that most would have in common is to defend oneself. 1962, aged two years old, I came to Bristol, England with my parents from Jamaica as a British citizen. Throughout the early parts of my childhood, I can say I had no understanding of discrimination or racism. As I got older, I would hear many conversations from my parents and their friends about how they would be called racist names or attacked by white people. Lloyd Russell. My mum and dad sent me to Fairfield Grammar School and we predominantly, at them days, it was a white school and we was called names, racist names at the time. And I remember going home, crying to my mother, saying, I don't want to go to that white school. And she's told me a story of the time when they came to England, right, and the white people came and just said, if you go step foot anywhere outside this area, you're all dead. And my mum and dad went to, from York Road to Broadmead and white people just were spitting in their face. Lloyd Allen. If a black guy's fighting a white chap, the police will step in and he'd more likely arrest the black chap without asking any other question what happened or who started it. 
And those are the things that we had to go through as a child. I can remember being told many times, Clive, you must learn to fight so you can protect yourself from them white men. All these advice from the elders truly turned out to be helpful for me and many of the young men from my generation. The time had come. We're now in our early teens and experiencing the same experiences that our elders had been through. Everything we as young men wanted to do, we had to think way ahead. It was like a war zone. Nathan Lewis. I remember in the 80s, if I had to go from east to town, that was a fighting session. <laughs> there was people waiting. They weren't black people, but they were waiting to give you a good old whooping. So if you didn't uh, be able to handle yourself, you're gonna get whooped. And that was in, in the 80s after I sort of like left the boys' school and going up to the upper school. That kind of racism. It was, it was tough. And I think it was because of the, from the Windrush generation uh, situation, they've always been fighting to try and have a, a, a sort of like a place in England then, to be as equal, to be treated equal. And the strange thing was, I didn't get it because, I didn't get it because my parents had been through it. So why am I going through it? That's, that's what I mean, my parents has already proven that, hey, you know, we, we can work, we can do, so why am I going through it? Well, we the children who came to Britain with our parents, or was born here, we said, no more. We saw ourselves as British and felt we should be able to go anywhere we wanted. Basically, when I was growing up, or just leaving school, we used to be picked on a lot. We was classed as a minority. And everywhere we go, people would say something. And at the end of the day, I thought, rather than be picked on all the time, I'd love to learn something to defend myself if I have to. And by doing the martial art, you build up that self-confidence and self-esteem. Sean Vera. Yeah, there's racism. I mean, you know, National Front was in our day. You know, we step out our front door, um, we'd get spat at, we'd get things chucked um, from passing vans. My friend got his ankle broke when he um, got a brick thrown at his thrown at him because he's chased down. Um, you know, so again, it turned to, yeah, we need to protect ourselves. As youngsters, we were experiencing racism from a different perspective. We were integrating into the school system. The 1960s and the 70s was different for us compared to the experiences of what our parents would tell us. The white English children would act out racist behaviour they would learn from their parents and TV programmes. To many of them, they thought it was normal. But to us, it was painful. Those of us who retaliated was punished expelled or beaten by our parents because they sent us to school to learn not to fight this guy come up to me and he says hey Nathan did you have your cornflakes this morning what I didn't even blink I saw a fist came across past my uh, sort of shoulder hit the guy put him out the floor and start hitting him so I grabbed Clive and said what are you doing and he said did you know what he said to you I said no and then he explained to me, and I'm scratching my head thinking, what, what did that mean? But that is my first, first encounter. Can you understand? My first encounter. Three weeks 
back into my school. That's my first encounter. Your first encounter of racism. First encounter. And I'm like... Conflicts. Yeah, that's when my journey started. And, and in the boys' school itself, because it was a boys' school, I realised that people were picking on you a bit and, 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 and you know, making you carry my bag. And, and I was like, how can I stop this? So a friend of mine said, you want to try and learn some, you know, self-defence. Winston Williams. But the fending for yourself meant actually, when you walked the street, there was a sense of, well, we know that we're not always welcome and wanted by all. So I think that's probably where a lot of the martial arts came from. But actually, I would say that uh, most of it stemmed from seeing the movies and the fact there's a link to spirituality. That would be my, my take. Can you remember going to late night cinema to watch the Kung Fu movies? Right, I used to watch the first two films and I fall asleep, you know, but it was an atmosphere, it was brilliant, you know, it was absolutely, um, you know, I've, I can't explain the, um, the vibe there. Age 13, the film Enter the Dragon came out. It was being shown at the Concord Cinema on Stapleton Road, Easton. That was a film that had such an impact on many of the black youths journey into martial arts. Bruce Lee. I was like, look at this guy, Bruce Lee, great guy, good role model. I used to love watching Bruce Lee movies. Bruce Lee's my era. And, and every time I see Bruce Lee's technique, sometimes I used to think, is it possible that somebody can kick that eye or be as good as he is, especially with the nunchucks? And I was so fascinated by that and I just wanted to find someone who teach weapons or anything to do with Bruce Lee. And that was when I met Winston Greenwood. Everybody just wanted to be like Bruce Lee. Going to late night cinemas also became a weekly occasion to watch martial arts movies. It was all so fun and exciting when going to watch these films. I couldn't get out of the house. Um, in school, uh, a load of my friends went to late night um, kung fu movies, and they used to come back in, the, you know, in the morning. And say, yeah, I sneaked out my house and watched kung fu movies. And I was always wanting to do it. When I got to about sixteen, yeah. From midnight right to early morning, and we're practicing the moves and just trying to be like Bruce Lee and all those things. I, I think it was just it was a trend that we all followed, and and some of us put it to practice into action as well. So the glorious days. Can you remember going to them late night kung fu movies? Come on, Clyde. What, eight hours and 16 hours of kung fu? You remember the kung fu weekenders? We used to carry food, rice and peas and chicken and everything, man. We was insane. Many people would bring their own food to eat, like sandwiches, bun and cheese, fried dumpling, even chicken, rice and peas in a Dutch pot. At the end of the night, it was always funny because many of the boys would practice some of the moves that they had just watched in the film. Oh, jumping oh, up on the cars. <laughs> Hilarious now, but at the time we thought, we all thought we were masters. These type of events created another form of socialization amongst the cultures of the generation of that time. Not being allowed in nightclubs was a regular occurrence for black men. Unless you were known by the bouncer or the club owner, you would not get in. 
The martial arts cinema nights was done by Chinese promoters and as black people we were not refused entry. But then also there was Muhammad Ali, my hero Muhammad Ali. We were the generation that took to martial arts and was inspired by martial artists like Bruce Lee and Jim Kelly, Black Belt Jones. But our elders icon was the boxer Cassius Clay who later changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Why Muhammad Ali? Simple. The things this man do, he's an Olympian, right? He's an American, he's a black American, right? And more important, he is a person in a uh, community that he stands up for. But he also has to bear the weight of responsibility of being out there to show that black people should not be, you know, bullied, you know, races against them. And he stood up, he said, actually, now, nah, you know what, I'm not going to take this. I'm an Olympian. I've got a gold medal. I can't even eat in a restaurant in here. I can't do it. And I was, for the first time, I'm thinking, I want to be like this guy, be able to stand there and speak the truth and nobody messes with you. And I thought, the only way I'm going to do that is to be good, you know, in the hearts, good in the hearts. So if you, you come to mess with me, I can defend myself. So I just started training, and I trained with a whole lot of people I met with Winston Greenwood, yourself, Clive, I mean, Arthur, you know, you, you know, the old Delson Brown, you know, you mean Phil Allen, Lloyd Allen. Who would you say was the most impressionable or best fighter from Bristol? I would say the, the one I'm going to go with before that time, Winston Greenwood. He was just unique, but what a man, a true legend, a martial art man. Winston Greenwood, I would put him up there with the best. Again, I've got to put that down to Winston Greenwood. The reason for that, he was, he was British champion when I was just one of his students. And he was a role model to all of us. It was him that kept Bristol going with the martial arts. And when he decided to go to London, he gave me the opportunity to carry on running the club. And since then, the club has grown. We've got well over 20 clubs in Bristol and we've got over 30 world champions and this is all down to Winston and I still respect him. I, I have to just give homage to Winston Greenwood because if it wasn't for him I don't think I would be this good. For me this is it I mean people might say something else but Winston Greenwood because because the size of him um, and what he can do is kicking ability, his punching ability, you know, um, then, yeah, that, that's, that's what I would say, you know, definitely. In everybody's era, there's somebody to look to and think, you're the one. And Henry, in terms of his natural ability, his approach uh, to training, was certainly the, the one that we all want to be like. It's like Henry, it's like Henry. If you talk about superheroes, he would have been our first superhero. Through the many sports that black youngsters ventured into during the late 60s, right up to the 80s, they seemed to experience a lot of discrimination. What was it like for you in the martial arts scene? Right, okay, we had, uh, right, it was, it was massive in the martial arts scene. Um, and in, in Bristol, I didn't see much of it. But then once you come out, of Bristol, we faced two things. We, we faced first discrimination of the style we'd done. So we used to wear black suits and people didn't like that. So when we used to go to competitions, um, we earned our way by winning. 
you know people we earned our respect by um, beating certain people you know certain people didn't want us to win they'll try everything to you know from you know you have to change your suits you have to change um, the gloves you wore and stuff like that and and then you know but it didn't it didn't um, it didn't stop us from competing it made us stronger and, we, and and the stronger we came, the bigger we came. And then people used to realise, and you know, at the end of the day, um, um, people uh, got on with us pretty well. When we used to, I mean, bear in mind, it was all a black team. We used to go all around the country fighting. Yes, you used to get referees. Used to be selective on what they saw, what they didn't see. If we do shots or, sh or, or score points, they wouldn't see it yet. You fight, not necessarily our general white team. They would see everything. And sometimes we had to really battle to get the result, the right result. What's your memorable moments and achievements? Here's my achievement. I've won three world championships. I've won four Europeans uh, gold medal and two uh, world championship gold medal. I've won six British team with the Bristol Death Squad. I've won the British championship. I've been voted in two different martial art hall of fame. I've been voted one of the most fittest kickboxer in the organization of Lagar, barring none. And it's probably the only um, sort of um, qualification which I hold. I, I, don't, I don't look at my world championships. I don't look at the um, titles. That's not, but that I, I hold. I, I take that as probably my top achievement. My greatest achievement actually is when I see young people who I've coached come back and say, well, you've done this in my life, and things I can't remember, if I'm honest, the amount of them say, Winston, if it weren't for you, X, Y, and Z. For me, that tops any podium that I can stand on as an individual. That, to me, is the reason why I've continued to do it, is that what we've passed on to others. And some of the conversations I hear where we've influenced other people's lives, that they can then come along and start to lead the way. So for me, so, so there's bits within karate, but it's about the, the, the life achievements. Uh, and as people excel and they tell me their story, people just ring up and say, oh, I'm doing this. And for me, Clive, that for me is, is absolutely the biggest achievement. Talking about me, how about looking at my instructor? Not only I've reached Caesar's European champion and world silver medalist. I also managed to train at least 30 of my students that now become European or world champion. So to me, that is a good impact. We were just basically going around, taking part in as many tournaments and at the same time, letting people know that we're from Bristol and everybody wants to come to Bristol, everybody wants a piece of us. <laughs> my memorable moments really, you know, is, is remembering stories from my, 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 my parents really and, and, and basically endorsing what they've told me. I think I've, I've made them proud. I think I've passed it on to my children and my grandchildren. I think that is priority over everything. You know, I appreciate the sports kept me out of trouble, but you know what? My family comes first in my eyes. My best achievement, I think, um, and memorable moment, was winning my first um, British title. And um, Sherry Eugene was there, and she said to me, if you win this title, I'll get you on HTV. Once he said that, jeez. The guy didn't have a chance, and as soon as I finished, and I won, straight to, um, to Sherry Eugene. And Sherry just laughed, you know, she had that smile. 
that was my first title I won and you know national title and and that that paid a long way do you think that Britain values the contribution of African people from the Caribbeans there is still a long way to go I don't think um, they appreciated them, um, us that well. But then again, you know, I've met people who have appreciated us. There's lots of white people who fight for us harder than what black people do. There was always that barrier, but uh, I believe the barrier is broken down now and things is moving forward, but not fast enough. Over the years, would you say that martial arts have created unity between cultures? I would definitely say so, because when we were little, we was competing all around the country and even at the right old age now we're still comrades with the same people we fought with when we were, we were young very young definitely definitely if you see the different i mean you know um two weeks ago i was i was i was in a competition and speaking speaking to russian people you know when they realize you know you're just human you're you know your passion is the same passion as them you 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 get friends again with martial art colour doesn't come into it and at the same time it gave us a chance as a platform to go out and express ourselves. Henry Cornwall, Arthurton Max Maximum, Stanmore Allen and Trevor Johnson all passed away within a few years of each other. They all left a legacy throughout the martial arts world that Bristol must be proud of. Sean Vera speaks of how his martial arts journey started with Trevor Johnson. I started when I was about, um, I think I was about 11. Um, I started in um, Eastern Sports Centre. Eastern Sports Centre? And who was training down there then? I was training under um, Trevor Johnson. What did you find Trevor's style of fighting like and his teaching? Um, it was quite relentless. Um, it was quite hard. It was. Um, it was very strict, very, very strict. Um, um, I don't think you would get away with a lot of stuff you taught. Um, but it was good, you know, it, it taught you discipline, it taught you how to um, stay focused, you know. Um, and, and it started my journey, you know, which is the important thing. He, he started my journey, then, you know, um, um, then I moved on and trained with Winston first and then um, Lloyd Allen. Over, over in um, Docklands. I started martial arts way back in the, it, must, it could be the 70s, when it, I started Kung Fu, Lao Gar Kung Fu, when it first originally came to this country, and, and we'd done it down by the bus station there. It was myself, Winston Greenwood, it was my brother tennis, Flory. You're naming some real legends there, old time names. <laughs> Don't forget Trevor, uh, Trevor who passed away as well. Trevor, Trevor Johnson. Jo Trevor Johnson was part of it as well. It was a privilege to capture Trevor Johnson's and Henry Cornwall's funeral, where I met up with legends of martial arts from all over England. Lloyd and Tennis Russell did their Kung Fu dancing. Legends. The legends. You know that. I know the legends. It's true though, isn't it? We thought about this, me and my co-DJ up here, and we said, what is the best thing we could play that really signifies what's going on here and who we're doing it for today? Can you all be upstanding, please? All the Kung Fu boys, Lloyd Tennis. Come and do what Trevor would have done for us. This is what we call party. Are you ready to jam? Are you ready? 
I like that. God bless you, Trevor. Rest in peace and rise in glory. What was your connection to Henry Cornwall and Max? My, my connection, they were like brothers to me. We grew up together, we lived in the same area, we lived in St. Paul together, grew up together, we fought together, we worked the doors together, worked the doors, and to see Mike, uh, I feel it's tearful to think that they are now no, no longer with us. They were, they were just champions in their own right. Legends, they were real, true legends. Well, if there's two people, and if in the martial arts world, if you don't know those two people, you've not been to Bristol. Let me just say that. Uh, on the karate scene, you, you know, you're not really been around to know your history. That's all I'd say in that perspective. But what can I say about Max? One of a kind. There was only, there was only ever one Max. And um, Max had a deep knowledge of martial arts deep understanding of martial arts and he would practice. After class I'd watch him, out come the knife and he'd find a guinea pig, we'd all, we'd all try and duck to not be a guinea pig because when Max did his training, Max trained for real. Max, Max was a clever fighter, he was a cheeky fighter and, and he, but boy, he liked to hurt people, he really did. I must say, but he was a good, good man to have in your team. When the knife was coming at you, Max is saying you're trying to kill me, so he defends and does his tax like a, like a man defending his life. So what we used to do is to watch and you see somebody new coming. Max would go come at the end of the class, and we just look, we used to just laugh and watch. We to ourselves, they don't know what they're walking into now. And there you hear a big man screaming, Max stabbing by the nose. You've been hitting him in the in the groin, all kind of things. Big man crying, and um, I tell you, we'd be so in the corner just laughing because we know what's coming next. So that's Max, and I salute Max. I used to work alongside Max for a long time on the doors, doing security work and again another good fighter which we sadly miss. If you could describe Henry's style of fighting, what would that be? Henry's style of fighting back in the day was like Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali changed the boxing world. Henry Cornwall was raw, he was rare and he was his own person but he was unique and he was his own person, but he was a true champion. Uh, to the late, great Henry Cornwall, um, well, one of, one of Bristol's finest when you talk about martial arts, you know. You can't talk about best in martial arts uh, without bringing Henry Cornwall into it. Uh, Henry could have been one of the very best ever, but he actually retired quite young. Henry retired from international competition, most people don't know this, about 26, maybe 27, uh, but he left a legacy uh, within the world of karate Everybody knew Henry Cornwall. Um, and in the world of martial arts, because we had back in those days, it was great because you had open tournaments, Kung Fu, Kickboxing, Taekwondo. It was great because you, you knew when you say, well, you know, I'm the man. Uh, and Henry and co introduced me to some of those open tournaments, and I'd be forever grateful, Henry, Glenn, and so on. So uh, Henry was, I, sh I showed a technique tonight, 30 yes. odd years old, that was Henry Cornwall technique. That is what you call legacy. On the top, move it, yeah? Little bit dummy frog. When you've got something that stands the test of time that you created, that's still effective and relevant today. Yes, you can adapt it, but still relevant. I think I got a video of Henry Cornwall fighting in the Bristol Open, where if you want to see a clean clinical technique, a front leg sweep, Gakazuki to the body, 
and I studied that for years and that come from Enricorn which I developed and turned into a blitz and used. He's the one of them elders who I looked up to because the technique, speed, power and the guy's so cool and relaxed. Do you know what I mean? So I just look up to him big time. Not forgetting my cousin Stanmore Allen. Stanmore Allen. What can I tell you about Stanmore? Stanmore Allen is one of... <laughs> He's funny. just a funny guy. He's got great character. If you travel with us with Stanmore, you can never be serious. He's always making you laugh. A great fighter, a great innovator. And most of all, Stanmore will lighten up a room and actually make it shine. He was always a person that would make you laugh. And I'm gonna miss him, a brother man. Yeah, so big up to two legends. Of two legends of, of Bristol. England. Absolutely, without a doubt. I would like to say we've lost two of our best, but in a way they've left a legacy that will teach the younger generation. We're at a stage now, since our parents came here during the Windrush period, we've been here, what, 60 years or so. And, um, Look what's happening recently. Many people who are of the age group of um, yourself and me within their 60s and 70s and who thought they were British, they're now being moved out of um, Britain and sent back to the Caribbean saying they're not British. I, I think that's totally wrong. These people came over in the 50s. This was our mother country. And for them to turn around and say, you've got to go back, it is is out of order because these people came over they put a lot of work in it they was doing work which some of the people didn't want to do because they think it was too downgraded for them I, I, I think again I think that's a terrible story and, it, and it's how, how the lies from the beginning now the, the, these poor people are now getting deported back to Jamaica I think it's absolutely disastrous okay if somebody done a crime and this crime is bad enough maybe but somebody who's been here for years and years and years. Can you imagine what it would feel like if someone was to come to you now and say you are not British, you have to leave the country? That would be heartbreaking because basically I was near enough brought up here from a child so I class this as my country. This is our home. Why should we move? One woman died didn't she because it's a stress. You devote your life to this country you, you make, you're, you're obviously doing your things to make, do things right, being role models, and to be told you have to go back to your, your, your motherland is sad, so sad. Would you say you're British? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the dilemma that we've had since being young, that you've always had that conflict of where do I fit in? Just think about the question that you asked, yeah? And that question about feeling on place, when I see the things that have occurred, and being part of things, experienced racism within uh, karate, even went to uh, court, stood our ground, won a, a, a very high-profile case that made the national news. That tells me, which I, the question at the beginning was, has, has much changed? So if I reflect back on growing up versus where we are now, then the scandal around the wind rush makes you question your place. But having, having a family in England, then I have to recognise I have an identity in this country. Do I uh, feel a connection with my heritage? Absolutely. And it comes into question every time these things happen. African-Caribbean people like yourself has given so much to this country. How do you think England should show gratitude? 
from where I come from, there's a lot of talented people and I would love to see these talented people just be recognized. I think we should be like a role model for the future guys and let them know what we've been through and at the same time what we could achieve during that hard time. How do you think this can be done? I think in position like for instance in um, when you're promoting people, I think black people should be looked at more, not by the colour, but what they're capable of doing, rather than judging people by their colour and keeping them down. And by opening the door for more people like that, that is the only way forward. Getting more minority people back up in those positions, so at the end of the day, people know that it's not a matter of colour, it's what you're capable of doing. That is the important thing. How do you think we can move forward and make change? The only way you can affect change is in being in a position that can influence. Today I'm a Director of Assets for a, a national organisation. And for me, part of that journey is the champion in your corner, the striving to achieve, making sure you do not compromise yourself on the journey but also make sure that you don't allow people who want to oppress you the system that wants to oppress you to hold you back because guess what where i sit now i write policy strategy i can influence housing policy i recruit people so therefore i can provide the opportunity for fairness and make sure people like us have the opportunity so for me part of the message is strive to achieve even against the backdrop of adversity. I've been a school governor, um, uh, chair of governors, you can influence. I'm currently the uh, performance director for karate in England. Uh, and by that token, responsible for developing the English uh, national uh, team. Uh, karate is in the Olympics, so we're trying to get um, uh, some athletes to Olympics. That would be fantastic. Um, but one of the things that I was really keen to do is continue the theme that we created here, ensuring that we increased our reach uh, to people. And so recently, in the last uh, sort of six months, started a national um, Paris squad. That's never been done in England before. So I'm really proud. And that's for England? That's for England. Many of these African Caribbean men has fought and taught many people in Bristol from all cultures. They have been humble with their achievements and need to be recognized for their services to our community and the positive impact they've contributed to the world. Lloyd Russell. You were also involved, like many of, um, many of us, many of the guys who've gone through martial arts, was involved in working a security on the doors. Yeah. And then you also went up into being a role model or what would I say in the schools? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, as I got older in life, I just wanted a different type of challenge and you know, and, and through all the years, I'm sixty-three now, but through all the years I've always liked to think I was a role model to the younger 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 people. And I just thought, you know, I've done my bit in, in the martial art world and it just wasn't doing it for me. So I just thought continuing to the role model, mentoring young black kids, mentoring the young people. And I'm still doing it even as we speak now, but it's just a, it's just a different challenge. And I think 
it's needed to be done because at the moment the young people are lost and they need they need that guidance and I like to think that I can just guide them and point them in the right direction. I met Winston Williams many years ago. He was a young man who made me feel very proud. It was at the time when all you would hear from the media, there was no black men as positive role models. But here was Winston who bought his own premises and started a martial arts academy. What made you do that? So, uh, well, Clive, you know the story, so I shall, I shall say it for, the, for those people uh, viewing. And this is probably uh, in line with the, the experience of the Windrush generation. So, you know, a lot of people coming along and because they didn't fit or didn't look the part, they did not progress. And what I observed coming up as a youngster, watching the way in which a structure of karate worked, which replicates the world in itself, uh, what I saw was you had some very talented um, black fighters that never progressed in terms of being, going into leadership. Winston Williams, he, again, he, he came up after all, all us old ones, but Winston Williams, he leads by example. That is a true role model. And, and, and the philosophy he has, we've, we had from Scorpions, was like a family unit. And whenever there was a problem within the young people, we as the elders would, would always put our hands up and say if anybody needs a problem just come and ask and we would be there and some of the some of the young people came to us with scorpions as a scorpion family we engaged and tried to put them in the right direction and the other aspect what i was really keen on is that we mentored the young people so what we wanted to do is ensure when they left us they come whatever they came with they we created and developed good citizens of tomorrow. Well, what I've noticed um, since the 70s and where my generation started from, we did it because of the racism and the victimizations which we were facing from the Caucasians and even the police. And now when you look at starting from that to where guys like yourself are, where you've now created employment, You've created an industry where lots of cultures are here. How does that feel? It feels fantastic, Clive, because really um, the vision, I talked to you about all nations, that we set that at the beginning. Because actually when you talk about community, the community comes in many different shapes and sizes. And the beauty about sport generally, it brings people from different walks of life together. And that is to be celebrated. And what is, is really um, the bit that warms my heart is people feel at home with us. No matter where they come from, we make them feel at home. It was very rare seeing black people from the African Caribbean communities throughout the early years of growing up in England, on TV or in the local newspapers. But the very few that did get noticed for their talents was able to influence or inspire many of the up-and-coming youths. Sean Vera. Um, my influence was, um, was yourself. Um, you see, obviously, you know, when you used to do the, um, the, the, the dancing, you know, um, and you was on telly for dancing, that was a very, you know, it, 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 I think that, that big time. And we know of you doing the martial arts as well with the guys. Um, you know, that helped as well of, of what you could do, you know. Um, so you were one. Um, Winston Green was, was another one. It was a big, big um, influence because we used to see him, he used to be like a god to us. And Lloyd Allen was another one who, who 
give us that influence and in, 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 you know um, showed us the way um, how, to, how to act and how to be and how strong we can be and what we can do to achieve a lot so so all these people had a in, in my martial arts I had an influence in my martial arts and what I could do and also in the way of um, work and what I can achieve and you know um, I, I, where I am today you know um, it was all helped through that being strong um, or making me um, um, climb boundaries you know um, so many different uh, walls were put in front of me in, in life Nathan Lewis I was brought from a generation who is second in line to yourself, right? There's you, then there's us. Before you, there's the others, and then there's your parents. This generation, I have to oppose certain things, and it's within me. And what I mean by that is, I realize that if I have to set an example for the current system to understand, I must set the bar so high for them to realize so that our generation next behind me knows that there are people who have broken through the barrier, transcend and set a message to them, send it saying, we are not just good, we are better. But we're not here to take anything from you. We just want a fair and impartial chance. When people ask me about some of the people who inspired me, there's no way I could stand here and not mention Clive Smith. Support from day one, always there, give us encouragement. Um, anything we need, Clive is there. Been there for all the shows that we did. Remember the, all the, the Night of the Champion shows where we tried to showcase everything that's happened in Bristol and showcase the uh, art of martial arts and other uh, community activity. Um, so Clive Smith, all I want to say is, you're a true inspiration to all of us. From a Scorpion perspective, two other people I can't miss. Grandad Simpson, always support us all, or Mr. Late Mr. Simpson. And of course, the one and only Raz Judah. Again, like Clive, been there from thick and thin, supporting us all along the way. And without them and their, people see you, and you know, I'm kind of clear about what I want, vision, but actually all of us from time to time need some encouragement. And, uh, and the, the people rooting for us, besides Glenn Douglas in my corner, Raz Judah, Clive Smith, the late, great Mr. Simpson, thank you. It's that time we must recognize the role models in our communities. Many of our parents constantly gave us advice on how to deal with a system that shattered their hopes and dreams. They told us of their bad experiences they would encounter from day to day. But yet, we were still encouraged to hold our heads high, don't give up, stand firm, follow your dreams, protect yourself. Thank you for listening to this podcast and I truly hope it gave you a more deeper understanding of the African Caribbean people's experience in Britain since the invitation of 1948. Please share this podcast. This is a Clive Smith production. Email asitistv at yahoo.co.uk A special thank you to the M Shed for commissioning this podcast.